0: this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this podcast. It's part of the TSRA series of thoracic surgery podcasts. Our topic today is complications after pulmonary resection. My name is Mujtseva Mubasher. I'm a second year general surgery resident here at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm joined today by Dr. Monisha Sudarshan. She's a staff thoracic surgeon at the Department of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the Cleveland Clinic as well. Thank you, Dr. Sudarshan, for joining us today.
0: Great to be here.
1: We're presenting on complications after pulmonary resection. We had a podcast one year ago on mediastinal staging that was pretty well received, so essentially this is round two. So patients undergoing lung resection are at a risk of developing pulmonary complications post-op and these complications can be pretty serious. They can lead to significant morbidity and mortality for the patients. And although this has decreased over the last couple of years, the incidence is still pretty high. It can be as high as about 50%.
0: In order to cover this topic of complications after pulmonary resection, we will review a few patient scenarios of some of the most common post-operative complications their risk factors, prevention, and treatment. In the interest of time, we'll be excluding complications after a pneumonectomy, which can potentially be covered in another podcast. So um, if you're ready, let's begin with our first case. Yes. We have a 45-year-old male who's a long-term smoker. He has a history of mild COPD and emphysema, who underwent a right upper lobectomy for a clinical T2N0 non-small cell lung cancer four days ago. He's on the ward, he's overall doing well. However, the right-sided chest tube continues to have an air leak, which it actually did immediately coming out of the OR. So what is the definition of a prolonged air leak?
1: Some people describe this air leak as any air leak that lasts more than five to seven days. However, others argue that any air leak that lengthens a patient's hospital stay should be considered as prolonged.
0: Right, and what uh, do you find are the risk factors for an air leak?
1: So several different risk factors are there. Things like the presence of emphysema in patients, intra-op if there are adhesions, if an upper lobectomy is performed or a biolobectomy. Similarly, if we perform a lobectomy versus other lesser resections, sections. And then several other patient factors, such as the use of tobacco, cigarette smoking, if the patients are immunocompromised, if they diabetes or steroid use. All of these are risk factors that can contribute to an air leak.
0: Okay. And what you find are some intraoperative maneuvers that can be used to minimize or repair air leaks at the index surgery.
1: One of the most important things is performing a leak test in the OR. And how this is done is water is instilled into the thoracic cavity and the lung is inflated. And we observe for air bubbles. The presence of air bubbles is a positive leak test.
0: Okay, so a leak test, like anything, has a limited sensitivity and a specificity. But let's say you do le- do a leak test intraoperatively and you find an air leak coming out of a parenchyma um, that you had recently staple, whether this is a fissure or the staple line of a wedge resection. So you find there's an air leak coming out at this point. What are some of your options to fixing it?
1: We can addresses in multiple different ways. We could either perform a simple suture closure, we could staple this entire portion off as part of a wedge resection if that area is amenable to this. We could also use some local agents such as Progel that essentially adhere onto the lung and can seal an air leak.
0: Okay. And what if there is a leak that is found at the bronchial stump?
1: We could revise the actual bronchial stump or we could reinforce that area with sutures. We could buttress it with a pericardial fat flap. We could also use a prural flap or a muscular flap, such as using either the intercostal muscle or any other local muscle.
0: right. So a leak that is found in properly bronchial stump definitely needs a revision in some way by some of the techniques that you have mentioned, because that can cause serious issues postoperatively, as we will discuss. One important thing is it is not, uh, it is important not to leave the operating room with a significant air leak and a large pleural space because the combination of two means that these air leaks are unlikely to seal with conservative management in the post-operative setting and most likely you're gonna be back in the operating room. So big air leaks and a large space uh, are bad news. So what do you wanna know more about our patient?
1: Right, to summarize so far, we've had a 45-year-old male, he's a long-term smoker, has a history of mild COPD and emphysema. We are at post-op day four from a right lower lobectomy, and now he has a persistent air leak. So I would like to know more about the clinical status of the patient. I would like to know some more clinical details, such as the severity of the air leak, whether it has changed over the last few days, is the chest tube suction? What are the X-ray findings in terms of, is the lung expanded? And then also simple maneuvers like checking if the chest tube is well sealed. Is there an opening around the chest tube or is it snug?
0: Okay, it's good that you check the actual chest tube and if there is a reason for the air leak that has nothing to do with the actual um, surgical site, but it actually has to do with the connection. So. But uh, he's doing overall okay, he's afebrile, he's normotensive, he's not tachycardic, his saturations are more than 95% on room air, he's ambulating the hallways, he has really no complaints except for slight cough. The air leak is a 2-3 two, uh, two, chamber air leak on forced expatriate maneuvers. It is essentially stable since the operation and has shown no improvement. The chest tube is currently on minus 20 centimeters um, of suction because a trial of water seal was done which immediately resulted in pneumothorax and some subcutaneous air. Uh, You know, you thoroughly check the chest tube connection, whether it's secured, whether the last hole is out, it looks like it's in a good position. You complete the lab work that shows no anemia, no leukocytosis. Um, So how would you like to approach this case?
1: I would manage this patient conservatively for now wait another day or two to see if the air leak results ideally i would like the chest tube to be on water seal however since the lung dropped and we developed a pneumothorax i would continue to keep it on suction at minus 20.
0: okay so now it's post day seven the patient still feels well but the cough has increased the air leak is steady once again, uh, the, you have tried doing uh, trials of water seal and every time the lung drops with, pneumo, uh, with subcutaneous air and a moderate pneumothorax. Uh, the white count has slightly bumped up. Um, what is your differential for this problem and what's your plan now?
1: Okay. So essentially there's no progress on the existing air leak. At this point, I'm thinking of a bronchial fistula. I could also be thinking of a parenchymal staple line leak or an unrecognized parenchymal injury. I would be thinking about taking this patient to the OR for a bronchoscopy, VATS, exploration, and possible thoracotomy.
0: So what is a bronchopleural fistula, and what are the risk factors for such a fistula after a lobectomy?
1: A bronchopleural fistula is defined as a communication between a lobar or a segmental pulmonary bronchus and the pleural space. This is in contrast to an air leak, which is an alveolar pleural fistula. This is something that is quite rare, however. It occurs about 1% of the time after lobectomy and about 0.3% of the time after segmentectomy. So coming back to your question about risk factors, the risk factors are pretty similar to risk factors for an air leak. However, there's infectious etiology, preoperative radiation, the type of procedure, for example, if they underwent a right-sided pneumonectomy makes them more likely to have a BPF. If patients are immunocompromised, if they have diabetes, if they're on steroids, And then in addition, if patients have a long bronchial stump or if the arterial supply to the bronchus is injured, so it predisposes them to developing this fistula.
0: So indeed, a bronchopleural fistula is quite rare after a lobectomy, especially for cancer. And as you mentioned, bronchopleural fistulas can develop more often in the setting of an infectious etiology for which a lobectomy had to be done. Um, So this is not the case in our scenario. This was a cancer patient. You are in the operating room, the patient is now under GA, you do the bronchoscopy, you find the stump is quite well-opposed in healing. It is very short and there is no bubbles at the staple line. There's no significant secretions in the airway. So then you proceed to uh, do a reoperative VATS. You open the same incisions, uh, you go in with a the camera, there's a small amount of cirrus fluid in the chest. You send this off for uh, microbiology and the lung is well uh, collapsed and isolated. What would you like to do now?
1: So at this point, I would like to do a leak test, instill the thoracic cavity with water and observe for air bubbles under VATS vision.
0: So you do a leak test and um, just before you did the leak test, you actually have a clear look at the parenchyma. There's no obvious um, parenchymal injuries from the index surgery. Um, and so you inflate the lung, you do a leak test and you find that there are some uh, the air bubbles coming laterally from the staple line on top of the right lower lobe. So it's most likely where you separated the fissure and you did some fissural dissection uh, with the bovie cautery, it never really healed. Uh, so you found this place of air leak. How would you address this now?
1: We could pursue several different strategies. One is we could simply perform a suture closure of that area. We could staple off as part of a wedge section. The other option is using a pleural tent, which is essentially bringing down the pleura from the apex of the lung. However, this is not entirely applicable to this case as that works for apical leaks, not lateral and inferior leaks.
0: Okay, so the leak that you're dealing with is quite lateral, it's quite apical, it's very amenable to uh, stapling it off. So you use an endo-GIA, you use a, a 45-load purple stapler, and you're able to staple this off quite well. There's no issues. Uh, suture closure is used with caution because sometimes even just putting a suture in the lung can cause an air leak. So it's used uh, um, with good clinical experience in places where you can't uh, staple off uh, a lung injury or previous staple line. A pleural tent, as you mentioned, is a very uh, excellent resource to have, especially if you have an air leak in the apex with a pleural space, uh, because you can essentially bring down the apical pleura right onto the lung. Therefore, that's the name of tent. But as you mentioned, it's bringing down the apical pleura. So this doesn't really work for inferior leaks or times where you have a uh, space above the diaphragm. Those things you might want to consider pneumoperitoneum or doing a diaphragmatic temporary paralysis by injection of uh, local anesthetic. So anyways, in this case, you staple the leak off. You leave a 28-foot chest tube. You come out of the OR. There's no air leak. The chest x-ray uh, shows a very well-expanded lung. So how would you manage this postoperatively?
1: i would try to water seal the chest tube as long as the pneumothorax does not develop or increase and if the respiratory function remains uncompromised after this i would try to water seal the chest tube at midnight starting the day of surgery next morning if there's no air leak on the chest tube if the chest x-ray looks good in terms of lung expansion and if the chest tube drainage is less than about 300 or 350 cc's i would uh, potentially remove the chest tube on post-up day one
0: great so we discussed some intraoperative approaches to air leak what are some non-operative approaches
1: there are several different methods and these differ according to institutional practices if an air leak is small and the lung is expanded we could potentially transition a patient to a one-way heimlich valve and the patient could be discharged with a chest tube once the air leak is sealed and this is confirmed in the outpatient clinic the chest tube could be removed The disadvantages of this technique is the risk of empyema and it's also pretty uncomfortable for the patient. Other techniques include doxycycline pleuridesis. What this involves is insertion of doxycycline into the chest tube and chemical pleuridesis. This is something that can also help with an air leak. Blood patches is another method that have had some effectiveness on smaller air leaks. How this is done is 100 cc's of the patient's own blood is inserted into the chest tube Once the blood clots on the inside, it can seal the leak. Other lesser-pursued options are endobronchial valves. This is something that's performed by interventional pulmonology.
0: Okay, great. Uh, In fact, air leaks rarely require operative management. So in this particular scenario, the patient's chest tube uh, was removed the next day. He did well and was dismissed home later that evening. So let's proceed to our next case. You perform an uneventful robotic right upper lobectomy in a 69-year-old female with a clinical T2N0 non-small cell lung cancer. The right upper lobectomy proceeds uneventfully, and you also complete a lymphadenectomy. She has pretty bulky lymph nodes, station 7, station 9, station 4. Uh, They look benign, but bulky. On postoperative day one, the chest tube drains 400 cc's of serous fluid. On postoperative day two, it drains 600 cc's of now cloudy, milky liquid. The patient otherwise feels well with normal vital signs. What is your approach and differential?
1: Given the history of extensive lymphadenopathy and extensive dissection, my top differential is a chylothorax. Other possible differentials is as an empyema. This is less likely given the normal white cell count and vitals. I would also perform a chest x-ray to ensure that there is no undrained collection and send for triglycerides and chylomicrons after performing a thoracocentesis and empirically place the patient on TPN and keep him NPO for a few days.
0: Okay, so you don't need to do a thoracentesis, the patient has a chest tube, so you send the liquids off. What are the cutoff values for diagnosis of a chylothorax?
1: triglycerides more than 110 milligrams per deciliter or the presence of any color microns is diagnostic.
0: Okay, Uh, that's correct. So the patient's output drops during the six days of NPO TPN to almost nothing. What would you like to do next?
1: We could start the patient on a low-fat diet and progress this gradually and observe the chest tube to make sure it remains low and the color remains clear.
0: Okay, so you start on a low-fat diet which uh, you restrict to less than 10 grams of fat per day. Tell me what are the dangers of a high-volume chylothorax?
1: One of the biggest things is volume depletion, electrolyte imbalances and fluid shifts, and also malnutrition from prolonged chylothorax.
0: Correct. So this is a very serious condition that needs to be addressed early to prevent all the aforementioned uh, morbidity. So in a case when the patient's output does not decrease with NPO TPN or there's recurrent chylothorax, what are your options?
1: We could pursue surgical exploration, which involves ligation of the thoracic duct. We could also pursue pleurodesis. Other options are interventions such as lymphangiogram with embolization. We could also continue the NPOTPN trial and add adjuncts such as octreotide.
0: Yeah. Just to mention, adjuncts such as octreotide have very limited utility in such cases. So indeed, if the chest tube output remains high despite a trial of NPO TPN, more aggressive measures to control the chylothorax need to be considered. Um, in this case, the patient's chylothorax most likely resulted from the lymphadenectomy. Uh, the patient's output decreased with NPO TPN. The chest exterior was clear, retained fluid. You transitioned her to a low-fat diet. Her chest tube output was minimal. So she, it was removed on postoperative day 10. She was sent home. You advanced her diet as an outpatient and she did well. Uh, you mentioned surgical ligation. What are the three landmarks for arm block proximal surgical ligation of the chyle duct?
1: We approach the chest on the right side. Mass ligation involves identification of three main structures uh, after opening the parietal pleura over the descending aorta, retracting the distal esophagus, and essentially mass ligating all the tissue between the azygous vein posteriorly, the esophagus anteriorly, and the aorta medially.
0: Okay. Great, so you are called urgently to the post-anesthesia care unit or the recovery room. Um, there's a recent VATS left upper lobectomy patient that has dumped more than 300 cc of bloody drainage from her chest tube. How do you evaluate this patient?
1: I would approach this patient similar to a trauma patient. I would start with my ABCDs, ensure that the patient's airway is not compromised, assess their breathing status, and assess the circulation. Would ensure that they have large-bore IVs in place, would obtain a STAT chest X-ray and send STAT labs including coagulations. And since the patient is fresh out of the OR, would alert the OR for a possible take back.
0: Okay. So she's tachycardic at 110. However, she's normal tensive. She's alert, oriented, and talking with you. Um, A STAT uh, CBC comes back. Hemoglobin has dropped two grams from the preoperative result. Coags are normal. The chest X-ray shows a moderate retained clot. And in the last uh, last half an hour while you were doing all these uh, workup, Her chest express actually slowed down significantly and drained less than 10 cc's in the uh, past hour. So what do you want to do?
1: In light of the retained clot and the fact that the chest tube output has slowed down, I am pretty worried about a chest tube blockage. In order to deal with this clot and stop the bleeding, I would want to take the patient back to the OR.
0: Okay, that sounds reasonable. What is your approach in the operating room?
1: I would uh, want to get the patient under general anesthesia as fast and safely as possible make sure that we have excellent IV access, blood products are available. Also, I would request a single lumen endotracheal tube with a blocker for isolation. If this patient continues to be hemodynamically stable in the OR, I would plan for a redo VATS. If the patient was unstable, I would perform a thoracotomy. Essentially, in either scenario, would assess for bleeding intra-op. I would irrigate and then systematically look for different sites of bleeding. Potential sites of bleeding are the underside of the ports, the intercostal bundles where the intercostal nerve blocks were inserted, the actual staple line itself, pulmonary artery stumps, other venous stumps, the lymphadenectomy sites, and also the inferior pulmonary ligament.
0: Okay, Um, it's good that you do a systematic look. As you mentioned, she's stable, she's tachycardic, but adequately resuscitated. So you're able to redo a VATS. There's actually 1.5 liters of clot inside. You're able to irrigate and have a look. And you find a pumping bronchial artery at the site of station seven or the subcranial node uh, resection. So what would you like to do for this?
1: I would like to isolate and clip it and minimize cautery in this airway region.
0: OK, that's good. So you you manage to find it and clip it and it stops. Um, So the incidence of postoperative hemorrhage after elective general thoracic surgery is actually quite rare, but it just emphasizes that there needs to be a systemic check done before every closure, and you mentioned some of the common sites of postoperative bleeding, which are bronchial arteries, intracostal vessels, and sites of lung adhesion to the chest wall that were taken down. The lymph node stations really need to be carefully evaluated, especially the subcorinal lesion, because there's often a large bronchial that feeds this uh, region, and it's more challenging to visualize this region on the left side. Uh, such as in this uh, scenario. Excessive cauterization, as you pointed out, should be avoided in this site, but also in other sites such as the AP window or station five and six, because you could potentially damage the recurrent laryngeal nerve. And then it's always a good habit to revalidate all staple lines and divided bronchi and all vascular strums before leaving the OR. So let's move on to our other case. You're called in the middle of the night for a 65-year-old female who underwent a left upper lobectomy. She's found in atrial fibrillation with rates of 120. Uh, she's post-operative day 2. She's otherwise normotensive and largely asymptomatic. Uh, how common is atrial fibrillation after pulmonary resection?
1: AFib is one of the most common complications after pulmonary resection. It ranges anywhere from 12% to 30% post-op. The peak onset is generally on post-op day 2.
0: And what are some common risk factors?
1: Risk factors include advanced age, especially for people more than 70 years old, depends on the type of lung resected, if they have a history of congestive heart failure, previous cardiac arrhythmias, if they've received intra-blood transfusion, and also if they're they're male.
0: Are there any preventative measures that can be undertaken?
1: Uh, Prevention of AFib includes meticulous management of fluid balances, electrolyte levels, if patients are taking beta blockers previously, they should definitely continue this post-operatively. Prophylactic diltasm has also had some success, however it's not universally adopted since uh, there could be a risk of hypertension.
0: Coming back to this patient, she has no previous cardiac history. How do you want to manage her?
1: Since this lady is hemodynamically stable with a normal blood pressure, I would start by giving her IV metaprolol and also resume her home dose of metaprolol. Check her electrolytes, optimize her fluid balance.
0: Okay, so she was never on a home dose of metoprolol, so you restart uh, you, you start a dose of metoprolol. But her rates improve, but she still remains an AFib after 24 hours.
1: At this point, I would try to chemically convert her by starting her on amiodarone drip.
0: Okay, you start a drip, and within six hours, she's in sinus rhythm. It is now post operative day four, and she's ready to go home. What medication are you going to send her on?
1: since she's reverted back to sinus rhythm and this is for more than 24 hours, I would convert her IV amiodarone to a PO regimen and then discharge her home on a amiodarone taper. I would recheck her rhythm in clinic and I would also mention that she doesn't need any anticoagulation since this was for less than 24 hours. Okay,
0: what if you had a postoperative AFib patient that was hemodynamically unstable?
1: At that point, I would consider electrical cardioversion. I would also consider anticoagulation, especially if they're AFib versus more than 24 hours.
0: Okay, great. So let's go on to our final scenario. You have an 80-year-old male who's post day three from a right upper lobectomy. His comorbidities include hypertension and diabetes. The nurse calls you to evaluate increasing oxygen requirements from room air to two liters now. He is otherwise not tachycardiac, normotensive, afebrile, his main complaint is pain is unable to take deep breaths and he's very reluctant to get out of bed due to this.
1: I would start by performing a complete physical exam, including a cardiac and a respiratory exam. I would evaluate his cough, the chest tube status, check for pedal edema and leg swelling as well, just to ensure that there, um, there's no DVT. And in terms of lab work, I would send a CBC electrolytes and definitely I would get a chest x-ray.
0: His exam yields decreased respiratory stance on the right side, his chest tube has no air leak, it has drained 50 cc's over the past 24 hours, there's no pedal edema or leg swelling, his CBC and electrolytes are within normal limits, his chest x-ray shows atelectasis bilaterally. Can you discuss atelectasis a bit?
1: Atelectasis is one of the most common complications after pulmonary surgery itself and uh, early identification and prevention is the key to prevent pneumonia. Several risk factors are present. Uh, People who have poor cough, they have impaired pulmonary function, inadequate pain control, diaphragmatic dysfunction, chest wall instability, and a sleeve resection are other common factors that contribute to atelectasis. And the problem with atelectasis is that it can result in a VQ mismatch. This can lead to hypoxemia, impaired alveolar macrophage function, and ultimately can result in pneumonia and empyema.
0: So what what would you like to do in this patient?
1: In this scenario, I would definitely optimize the patient's pain control. I would remove the chest tube if possible, uh, encourage physiotherapy, use vibration, percussion, frequent incentive spirometry exercises, and ensure ambulation at least three or four times daily. And then other adjunct treatments include respiratory treatments such as mist inhalation for the secretions, bronchodilator therapy, and chest percussion too.
0: Okay, so this is an important point. Atelectasis should be aggressively treated to prevent pneumonia. Other risk factors excluding atelectasis for pneumonia include uh, you know a preoperative hospital stay, an immunocompromised state, um, more extensive pulmonary resections, a compromised pulmonary reserve, and of course, active smoking. So I would really like to thank all the list- listeners for their attention. Uh, the key to lower post-operative complications is prevention and early recognition.
1: Yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this DSRA podcast. We covered uh, quite a few topics in uh, a short span of time. We covered atelectasis, pneumonia. We covered air leaks and bronchopural fistulas and also post op hemorrhage and chylothorax. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much, Dr. Sudarshan, for being with us today. It was uh, a pleasure, and we look forward to further podcasts.
0: Thank you.